Amen. Thank you, brother, for that song. You blessed my heart tonight. I appreciate um, all that you do. You do a good job leading us in worship, and we're so thankful for that. Good evening to all of you, and I want to thank you for making the decision to come out and be a part of what God is going to do here in this service tonight. Thank you for making the study of the Word of God a priority in your life. It's good to see each and every one of you. And um, talking to a pastor friend of mine today, and he said, oh, man, there's nothing wrong with online services, and there's not. I'm thankful that we're able to get the Word out any way that we can, and I'm thankful that um, the Lord is blessed in that. But uh, there's something special about being with God's people and God's place and God's presence. And the Bible says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it says that for a reason, because it's needful that we meet as the body of Christ. And I want to thank you for doing that tonight and uh, coming to be a part of what the Lord is going to do right here in our Wednesday night Bible study. Now I'm asking you to please to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me over to Romans chapter number 10 is what we're going to look at tonight. And um, we're going to be looking at verses 14 uh, through verse number 21 uh, through the end of the chapter. And my plan, Lord willing, is to finish up what we started last week in the first 13 verses. And uh, so before we get on to verse number 14, let's review just a little bit and lay the foundation for where the Apostle Paul is going to take us tonight. We looked at verses 1 through 13 last week and we saw that Paul, by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, was teaching us about the amazing matchless gift of salvation. How many of you know tonight that salvation is a gift? <laughs> I'm so very thankful for that. Praise God for that. Uh, we saw three main truths in verses 1 through 13. First of all, we saw that salvation is free. If salvation is not free, then it ceases to be a gift. And so we know, according to the authority of God's precious truth, His Word, salvation is free to all who will receive it. Now, Paul's not the only one who says this. You'll find it all throughout the New Testament. John says in John chapter 3 and verse number 36 that whosoever believes in the Son has life, and whosoever believes not on the Son of God has not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. So what John is saying is, you must receive this free gift through believing on Christ, placing your trust, your faith in the finished work of Jesus and relying fully on who Christ is and what Christ has done to be saved. And once you've done that, you receive the eternal life, this free gift that God is offering. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So according to Paul and John and Jesus, we receive this free gift of God by placing our faith in who Christ is and what Christ has done. Now, what I want you to realize tonight are, is two main truths when we're talking about salvation being free. Listen very carefully to this. Salvation is not a work to be achieved, but rather a gift to be received. Amen. Now, I want you to get that. Get a hold of that. It, salvation is not us trying to obtain uh, this gift God gives through our own self-righteous work. It's not a work to be achieved, 
but a gift to be received. And you say, well, wait a minute, Brother Israel. Uh, does that mean our works don't matter? Not, that's not what I'm saying is all, at all. What I'm saying is, listen to me now, if someone has truly been saved, it's going to change how they work. It's going to change how they live. It's going to change how they operate. It's going to change how they think, thereby changing how they act. When someone has truly been born again into the body of Christ, you need to understand, folks, that uh, at that moment, you receive the precious Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, you then gain the desire for the things of God and to do the work of God. So even though salvation is not a work to be achieved, but a gift to be received, listen to me now, good works are not the reason for salvation, but they're certainly the result of salvation. If a man, woman, boy, or girl has truly trusted in Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit living in them is going to make a difference in their life. Just like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, that he has a new, anybody, therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away and behold, all things become new. So salvation is a free gift that truly makes a difference in a person's life. See folks, I want to tell you something. If you've truly been born again and you are in right fellowship with the Lord Jesus, I don't think anybody's going to have to beg you to come to church. I don't think anybody's going to have to beg you to, to uh, serve the Lord. I don't think anybody's going to have to beg you to pay your tithes. I don't think anybody's going to have to beg you to pray for those who need praying for and love people like Jesus loves people. Nobody's going to have to beg you to be what God wants you to be if you are in right relationship and fellowship with the Lord. And if you do have to be begged, one of two things is wrong. Either you are, as a believer, completely and totally outside the will of God, or you've never been saved to start with. But someone who's truly been saved, it's going to show up in how they live their life. Salvation is free, Paul says, but he also says salvation is near. Can you say amen? Now, I want you to get a hold of this, man. Don't miss this. I want you to know that salvation is near to each and every one of us. And the reason for that is that God has already done everything necessary through the finished work of Christ to make salvation available to you. To me, you and everybody who will receive it by faith. The Lord bids anyone come that needs to be saved. And all of us need it. And if you want what God has for you, you can receive this free gift of salvation. Salvation is near to you this evening. The Apostle Paul is pretty much saying here, you don't have to go into heaven. You don't have to go under the earth. Uh, Christ has already done all that. Amen. He came down from heaven and then he went under the earth. He was buried, but praise God, he arose again. And really what Paul is saying, Jesus has done everything because of his birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. He's done everything necessary for salvation to be available for you. Salvation is near to all who will receive it. God's not hiding from you this evening. And can I say something else? God's not mad at you. God poured his wrath out on his son for your sin. Now, if you choose to reject the payment Jesus made, the wrath of God will abide upon you. That's what John's talking about in the verse I quoted previously in John 3:36. He who believes on the son has life. But if you don't believe on the son of God, you don't have life and the wrath of God abides upon you.
Jesus paid the price. Therefore, salvation is near to all who will receive this free gift. Salvation is free. Salvation is near. Let me give you another one, though, that we looked at last week. Uh, salvation is all about reconciliation. And we looked at some great commentary on Romans 10 in Ephesians chapter 2 last week where Paul says that we were separated from God because of our sin. It actually says we were separated from God. We were aliens from the promise of God. We were without hope in this world is what Ephesians 2 says. But he says now all those who've trusted in Jesus have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. <laughs> this is an amazing thing. That's what reconciliation is all about. To reconcile is to take that which is separated and bring them together. The Bible teaches we all were separated by our sins from God who is holy. But when we chose to place our trust in the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, listen, listen to me now, that which separated us was taken away, it was forgiven, it was washed clean by the precious blood. And now that which was uh, 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 separated has, has been reconciled back together. Man can be reconciled to God who is holy by the finished work of Jesus. Salvation is free. Salvation is near. Salvation brings reconciliation to all who will receive Christ. And man, I'm so thankful for that tonight. Paul shifts his focus in Romans chapter 10 um, from the souls that have been won. He, he, he really shifts his focus from the free gift of salvation to the soul winner in the last part of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. So what I want to do is just read uh, 14 through 21. We're, let's just start back with 13, and we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. And then there's three or four things I want to show you tonight. Look what it says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How many of you tonight who are born again, how many of you are thankful it's a gospel of peace? I know what it's like to have a soul in turmoil. I know what it's like to have a mind clouded by the cares of this life, but I'm so thankful I also know what it's like to enjoy the peace of God. I know what it's like to worry about laying your head on a pillow at night and wondering whether or not you're going to wake up the next morning because you know you're not ready to meet the Lord. I know what that's like. But I know, praise God, I know what it's like to have the peace of God that rules and reigns in my heart and mind and allows me to lay my head down and go to sleep knowing if I don't wake up the next morning Listen, I'm going to be home with Jesus. So I know what he's talking about when he says this gospel is a gospel of peace. I'm thankful this evening that God has given me peace for living, praise the Lord. And he's given me peace for dying. So he says this is a gospel of peace that it brings Glad tidings of good things, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, 
Have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went out unto all the earth and their words in the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I also found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Praise the Lord. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient. And again, saying, people, let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing what you've done. I'm so thankful that the work you've done is finished. Lord, you've prayed the price for each and every one of us. You've took the punishment for sin. You've tasted death so that we might have life. I'm thankful that to all who receive you by faith, we can have this peace that passeth all understanding. We can experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. We can know what true purpose is that changes lives. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that this gospel is free to all who receive it, near to all who believe, and reconciles us to yourself. Lord, I'm asking you this evening that you would be with me in this presentation as you've been with me in my preparation. I ask that you forgive me, Lord, of anything in my life that would be a hindrance tonight. I never want to be a hindrance, Lord, I want to be a help. And I'm asking you that you move me out of the way, you fill me up and you pour me out. Use me this evening to speak your truth to your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and for your sake, amen. There's four things that I want you to see. The first one comes in verse number 13, and I know we looked at verse 13 last week, but I, I just, man, something the Lord spoke to me this evening I want to speak to you. Look at verse 13, for it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The first point that I want to make tonight in this passage of Scripture is the people who are saved. Let me tell you something, uh, child of God, brothers and sisters in Jesus. I want you to know tonight, I'm thankful that Jesus is still in the saving business. How many of you tonight are thankful Jesus still saves? <laughs> we saw just... Uh, last week or two weeks ago, uh, one of my nephews, young man, come up and trust Christ as his personal Savior. I enjoy seeing that more than anything else when I see God break the heart of a man, woman, boy, or girl and bring them unto himself. I'm thankful tonight Jesus is still saving slow souls. Listen, so don't you give up. Jesus is still able and willing to save your lost friends. Jesus is still able and willing to save your loved ones. Jesus is still able and willing to reach out and save a lost and dying world if they would only turn to him. The Bible bids us come, all who would receive this free gift. And I'm so thankful tonight Jesus is still in the saving business. Let me tell you something, lost friend. I'm thankful tonight Jesus is still able and willing to save. You say, no, whoa, wait a minute, Brother Israel. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I am. Well, listen, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I am. I want to tell you something. I certainly wasn't worthy of salvation in the moment I was born again years ago. And I'm not worthy of salvation today. It's by God's grace I am saved. Amen. It's his undeserved favor toward me that makes salvation possible when I place my trust in him. See, I wouldn't always, Brother Israel, and I still need the mercy and grace of God every day. So I know if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody who'll trust in him. 
He can save you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done. God's grace is still able to save. I'm thankful tonight that Jesus is still in the saving business and the people who are saved are whosoever shall call upon the Lord in faith. When you choose to trust in what Christ has already done for you, the Bible says then you call upon him and he's ready, willing, and able to save you. You need to see the people who are being saved, but you also need to see the progression of salvation. Look at verse number 14, uh, how it puts it here. There's a progression that Paul follows that I think we need to take note of. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, that's a very good question. I think uh, we need to answer it. He says, nobody's going to believe on Jesus, or, or excuse me, call on Jesus if they don't first Believe on Jesus. Folks are not going to call on Christ for salvation if they don't believe Jesus to be the Savior. Does that make sense to you? Makes perfect sense to me. Why would they call on someone they don't believe could help them? Why would they call on someone they don't believe could save them in their time of distress? Why would they call on someone uh, then he, he says that they hadn't heard of? Look at the next part of this. He says, how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard. So a prerequisite for someone believing on Christ is for someone to hear about Christ. We were in our men's meeting last night and uh, some of the guys were talking about uh, some people right here in our community that uh, right here in the middle of the Bible Belt that had never heard of Jesus, that, uh, that listen, had never known who Christ is and what Christ has done. And sometimes we believe uh, in the world we live in with a church on every corner that everybody around here has heard of who Christ is. Folks, that's not so. That's not so. And, and, and listen, I heard stories last night and I've, I've actually experienced it myself with people within rock-throwing distance of the church who've never heard of the goodness of God and never heard of this glorious gospel made possible by the finished work of Christ. So they've got to hear if they're going to believe and they've got to believe if they're going to call. Are you seeing the progression? Look, look what else he says. He says, and how are they going to hear then without a preacher? Jesus makes this plain in Matthew chapter 13. He does it using a parable. A parable is a story about physical things that has a deep spiritual meaning. And that's what Jesus does in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. Let's flip over there. I'm going to read to you five or six verses. Look what it says. Matthew chapter number 13. We're going to start in verse number one. Matthew 13, 1 says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship, and he sat down, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. A sower is one who sows the seed. <laughs> Amen. Now, the seed that Jesus is speaking of here is the word of God. And he says, it's the sower's job to go out and sow the seed. And so if we want to apply that to us, it's our job as believers to go out 
and sow the word of God. Let's go on to verse 4. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, for with they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell onto good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So this is a very important verse for all of us as children of God. Listen to me, folks. It's not up to us to save anybody. That's not what God's called me to. I want to tell you, as a pastor, when the Lord made that, finally made that real to me that I can't save anybody and he hadn't called me to save anybody. That made all the difference in my ministry. That, uh, listen, is like a weight lifted off of me. <laughs> Amen? Because it's not up to me to do the saving. It's up to me to do the sowing. All God's called me to do, and all God's called, we're going to see in a minute, every believer to do, is just sow the seed. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, I grew up on, uh, on Highway 19 out in the country, and so I've seen a lot of gardening going on when I was growing up. And my grandmother used to sow a turnip green patch. You ever seen anybody sow some turnip greens? You, you ever seen how they do that? Man, they reach down in that sack and get just a big handful of that little bitty small turnip seed and they just sling it everywhere they can sling it out in that turnip green patch. And she'd go through that patch, man, that tilled up ground just slinging that stuff everywhere. She was sowing as much seed as she could possibly sow so that she might get a return on the seed that she was getting out of that bag. Amen? That's the same picture that Jesus paints here. He's saying we can't expect a return if we don't sow the seed. We can't expect lives to be changed if we don't give the good word of God. It's not up to us to do the saving. Let God take care of that. All we need to do is do the sowing. Amen. There has to be people who are willing to sow the good seed of the word of God if we're going to see uh, lives changed in a lost and dying world. We need to see the people who are being saved. We need to see the progression of salvation. People need to call on Jesus, but they can't call on him if they've not believed he can save. And they're never going to believe he can save if they've not heard who he is. And they're not going to hear without a preacher. Everybody seeing that? If you got it tonight, say you got it. All right, let's look at the next part. Not only do we need to see those two things, but I also want you to see the preacher of salvation. He says something here in verse number 15 of Romans chapter 10 that man is eye-opening, enlightening, and convicting. Look how he puts it. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, dear pastor, a friend of mine years ago told me something about that, that had happened to him when he went to his... Uh, his new church. He had, Lord had called him to a, a new work, and so he went there to the church, and he said about two Sundays in, he finished his sermon one Sunday morning and called upon one of the men of the church to dismiss in prayer. And he said when he called upon that brother to dismiss in prayer, the man said right there in front of everybody, Preacher, that's what we're paying you for. Now, I've come to find out that most people not only believe that about the work of prayer, but they also believe that about the work of preaching the gospel. That's what you pay the preacher for. Now don't get me wrong. 
I'm thankful that God has given me the opportunity and the privilege to stand before the Word of God and before people and sow the seed. I'm thankful that God allows me the great privilege of standing before you each and every week and sowing the good seed of the Word of God. I'm not complaining about that. I'm thankful for that. I'm amazed that God would allow me to do so. I'm humbled by it. I'm thankful for it. But I want you to understand and know you need to get in on the action too. Because if you don't, you're going to miss out on a great blessing that God has for you. You need to understand, preaching this gospel, sharing the good truth of God's word, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, this is not grievous, folks. It's glorious. It's amazing. I want you to think about this. You have the opportunity and the privilege of making a real difference in someone's eternity. Who else can say that? I want you to understand and know what you do for the kingdom of God in the preaching of the gospel will echo throughout eternity. I want you to know this is truly a blessing you're missing out on if you're not preaching this glorious truth. God could have used many different things and ways of preaching the gospel. I mean, he could have took his finger and wrote the gospel in the sky if he had wanted to. He's God. He's able. He could have used angels to come down from heaven and preach this glorious gospel to men, women, boys, and girls. But instead, he chose to use people just like us. You and me who have been born again Yes, we've all been called to preach. You say, oh, now, wait a minute, preacher. I don't think I've ever been called to stand in a pulpit. You may have never been called to pastor a church and stand in a pulpit and proclaim God's word. That might not be a calling upon your life. And yes, I believe that is a calling. But I can promise you, we all as believers have been called to preach the gospel, to share the truth of who Christ is across the street and around the world. Let me prove it to you. Take your Bibles, turn with, with me to Mark chapter number 16. I want to share with you two verses there that's uh, very important for all of us. The Bible uses several terms to describe who Jesus is. The Bible calls Jesus master, amen, all throughout the Gospels, the disciples would call Jesus Master. The Master is the one who is in control. The, the disciples called Jesus Lord. Amen? If, if someone is your Lord, then you must do what your Lord says. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. So if we're talking in military terms, Jesus is our commanding officer. He's giving us the orders that we are to fulfill for his purpose. And so in Mark chapter number 16, he gives us, right before he ascends back to the Father, uh, some marching orders. He gives us some directions straight from the lips of the Master. He tells us what it means to truly serve the Lord in Mark 16 and starting in verse number 15. Watch what it says. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> he didn't say, if you want to go, go. He didn't say, if you got time to go, go. 
He didn't say if it's convenient for you to go, go. But the master, the Lord, the captain of our salvation makes a command here and he says, go, you go into all the world. Whether that be across the street at your neighbor's house, at your workplace tomorrow morning, young people in your schools, at the grocery store, wherever you go, go with the gospel on your lips and preach it to every creature upon the face of the earth. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, every nationality, red and yellow, black and white, they all precious in his sight. Jesus died for us all and everybody needs to hear about the finished work of Christ. Everybody needs to hear so that they might believe, so they might call, so that they might be saved. Amen. And he tells us to go. Verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. There are a lot of fire under you. If folks never hear, they're not going to believe, therefore they're never going to call, therefore they're never going to be saved. The Bible says those who are not saved, who hadn't believed, are going to be damned. There's no plan B here. Your loved ones, your friends, who don't know Jesus, if they leave this walk of life without having trusted in Christ, the only hope for them is the devil's hell. So sometimes I think we get so complacent in our walk with the Lord because God's blessed us so much. I mean, I look at my family and I, man, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by how much God's blessed me. I've got a wife who loves Jesus with all her heart. And because she loves Jesus, she knows how to love her husband. She, she follows closely after the Lord. I've got kids who have all trusted in Christ as their personal Savior. And, and to all of that, I just say, thank you, Jesus. Man, he's done a work in my home. Praise God for it. But many times, because I think we've been blessed so much, we get complacent where we are. And really, what we're saying, whether we're saying it with our lips, we're certainly saying it with our lives. Many times, we, we believe, hey, I'm saved. My family's saved. Those close to me are saved. And really what we sometimes say with our actions is to hell with everybody else. Now I know we're never going to say that with our lips and rightly so, but we certainly say it with our lives, don't we? Jesus said, go. Oh, brother Israel, I just don't know how I can do that. I don't know how I can do it either. Amen. Let me just go ahead and say, so I can't do it. Effectively. In my own power, I can't do it. But I've got some great news for you. God certainly knew that long before he chose to save me. God certainly knew that long before he gave me my mission through the Great Commission. God knew that. And He already had a plan for it. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Watch this. I'm about to bless your heart with what the Word of God says right here. 
certainly blesses my soul. Acts chapter 1, look what it says, starting in verse number 1. Let's just start with verse number 3. The Bible says that to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. When the Bible says after his passion, it means after his death, after his suffering. All right? So he said that he's there with all of these people to whom he had showed himself alive. See, that's my Jesus. That's the Jesus I've got to tell the world about. I'm talking about the Jesus who did go to a cross, the Jesus who did die, the Jesus who was buried, but praise God he didn't stay there. That's my Jesus. He showed himself alive So the Bible says at one time over 500 brethren at once. 1 Corinthians 15. that's, That's so powerful. See, when we start really giving evidence for the fact of who Jesus is and the facts concerning what Jesus has done, then that helps people to believe him, to be able to save. After all, if Jesus can overcome the grave, he must be God. And we have evidence, mountains of it, that he literally overcame the grave. Amen? So we need to be telling people this. We need to hear this. There's power in it. So he says, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now what's the promise? Well, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus made in John chapter 14. But now I want you to get a hold of what he tells them. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's 120 believers there at Jerusalem at this time. 120 followers of Christ. And there's a lot to get done. After all, there's a church to start. There's a world to reach. There's places to go to preach this gospel. But Jesus said, wait. Do you see that? Wait. Don't do any of that stuff yet. Wait where you are until you receive the promise. Now, there's a a reason for it. Because with the promise comes the power. If you don't have the power, you'll never effectively preach the gospel. So he said, wait, stay there. Wait, watch. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when, and when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, Is it not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own power? So they're asking questions about stuff that, um, listen, is really none of their business at this point. Because Jesus already told them what they need to do. He's already told them to go and preach the gospel all over the world, and then he says, before you go, wait. Wait for the promise. That's what they need to be worrying about. Verse verse 8, but you shall receive power. In my Bible, I've got that that, uh, word power underlined, circled. Got two or three arrows pointing to it. 
Praise God for the power. Now, this power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's the same word that we get the word dynamite from. Now, you know how dynamite can change the landscape of a place. Years ago, a few years back, I was um, at, at my workplace and a guy from the, uh, um, the, the uh, National Wildlife Federation came to my workplace and, and they were asking for someone to take them out that day and, and show them where beaver dams need to be blown up because <laughs> he, he was going around and doing that work for the, uh, for the federal folks. And so um, my, what's my favorite day of work ever? Two days, as a matter of fact. All we did for two days is go out and blow stuff up. Man, it was fantastic. And so we get out to this place that had a beaver dam built on the side of the road around a culvert that was 13 feet high. Biggest beaver dam I ever saw in my life. I got down in the hole where it was at. Wasn't any water running in the bottom, and there was 13 feet of water at least on the back side of this dam. It was amazing what they had done, what they had constructed there. And so um, he was down in the hole with me, and he said, man, what do you think? I said, buddy, I don't know. It's all up to you. What do you want to do? He said, well, I think we could probably get it done with about three sticks. I said, no, nah, I ain't never going to do this one. Now, mind you, I've only been blowing up beaver downs for about a day. <laughs> but somehow, some way, he listened to me. I said, man, if I was you, I'd put at least five or six in that. He said, you think so? I said, absolutely, let's do it. So, man, he starts sticking dynamite all in this thing. It's huge. And he wires everything up like you're supposed to wire it up. We step back to his truck, and he's got this little radio control thing that does the thing in the hole. And So we get back probably 150, 200 yards from this beaver dam, and he sets this thing off, and sticks went over my head, just showered the trucks from where that thing blew up, covered the road, Highway 13 over in Eldridge, absolutely covered the road with sticks and mud and maybe beavers, I don't know. It's everywhere. We shut the road down. Fantastic. But let me tell you what I found out about dynamite. Dynamite changes the landscape. There's power in it. I mean, it changes stuff that normally wouldn't have been changed without the power of the dynamite. And so what I think Jesus is saying here Wait for the power, that dunamis power that is able to change the landscape of a city, a community, a state, a nation, a world. Wait for that power because we've got to have it. We've got to have it. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So he's talking to 120 Believers, you go on and read in the book of Acts, you'll find they did exactly what Jesus said. They waited on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit come. The church was born. And from that time, this movement has grown from 120 believers to absolutely changing the landscape of the world. Why? Because of the power. Now, a lot of people believe, well, I tell you what, um, I wish I could have been like uh, James, John, Peter, 
Philip and Andrew and those original 12. Well, I do too, but you need to understand, it wasn't just the original 12 that Jesus was talking to here. He was talking to 120 people. Young men, old men, women who were following Christ. And he said, wait for the power. And then when the power comes, praise God. By the power, you're going to be witnesses. What am I, what am I saying to you? Whoever you are, if you've trusted in Christ, you have been baptized by the precious Holy Spirit into the church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The same Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about in Acts 1-8 that was sent on the day of Pentecost now dwells in every believer. Isn't that what we learned in Romans chapter 8? Remember how Paul said it? The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. So God the Holy Spirit lives in you. And now by this person of the Holy Spirit, God gives us the power to do what? Exactly what he's commanded us to do. Be witnesses. To go into all the world. And to preach this gospel. So yeah, I've been called to preach, but you have been too. You've been called to go. You've been called to share. Man, there's nothing, nothing like seeing God the Holy Spirit change hearts and change lives when the Word of God is shared, when the gospel is preached. Some of the greatest soul winners I've ever been around in my life are not considered quote-unquote preachers. Some of the greatest preachers of the gospel that I've ever been around are laymen that just love the Lord and love people and they're fired up, jacked up about going out and sharing truth with folks that change lives. Because that's what makes all the difference. Amen? That's what truly matters. There's power in it by the person of the Holy Spirit that's given to all of us. So we need to see tonight the People who are saved, we need to see the progression of salvation. We need to see the preacher of salvation. But we got to see the power of the Word of God. Watch this in Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at verses uh, 16, 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, watch this now, and hearing by the word of the Lord. The power of the Holy Spirit, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, coupled with the power of the word of God, is still what's changing hearts and changing lives today. Let me tell you why. We're going to keep preaching the, the word of God. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night. Let me tell you why. We're going we're gonna to center every ministry, plan, and program we have around the Word of God. Let me tell you why. Because that's where the power is. That's where the power is. If you don't have the truth of the Word of God, well, you don't have anything. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I get so stinking sick of seeing empty pews. 
Because I wonder whether or not people really understand the importance of being under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. There's power in God's truth. And God the Holy Spirit gives us what we need when we need it. How many times have you been sitting in a Sunday school class or you've been sitting in a small group or you've been sitting in a service just like this or a Sunday morning worship time and maybe somebody speaks something that God the Holy Spirit uses to just tattoo you, man, just to put it right where it needs to be. How many times have you been in, in services like this where God just takes that, I, I, I call it the holy tube before, and hits you right between the eyes with it. I mean, you just know, boy, that was from the Lord. That's life-changing, man. That's, that's God speaking to you. That's powerful. You need that. I need that. We all need that. Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers of all time. He's called the Prince of Preachers for a reason. If you don't believe me, read some of his sermons. You can find them anywhere online. Get a devotional. I think his, uh, one of the best devotionals that I've ever read is the one by uh, Evenings and Mornings by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. Man, fantastic. One of the greatest books I've ever read is Holy Spirit Power by Charles Spurgeon. He lived in London, England and. Um, in the 1800s, and the Lord used him in a fantastic way to completely change the landscape of his city. It's amazing what God did in his life. This is what he said about the power of the Word of God. He said, It is better to preach five words of God's Word than five million words of man's wisdom. Men's words may seem to be wiser and more attractive, but there's no heavenly life in them. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick with the stuff. I'm going to stick with the Word of God, brothers and sisters. I'm going to stick with it when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm here in this pulpit. We're going to stick with it in Sunday school. We're going to stick with it in small groups. We're going to stick with it in Bible school. We're going to stick with it every way that we possibly can. When we go on a mission trip, we're going to take the Word of God and give it to people. Whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, as God's people, we must have the Word of God. We've got to. The power of the Holy Spirit coupled with the power of the Word of God is still changing hearts and changing lives. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of the Lord. Stick with the stuff. I don't care if we got five or 500, I'm going to stick with the stuff. I want 500. I'm praying for 500. But if we got five, I'm going to stick with the stuff. Matter of fact, let me go ahead and say this. I'd rather have five that are sold out than 500 that are just going through the motions. Maybe one good thing about this whole deal that we're going through right now, maybe kind of we're weeding out some of the, some of the people that, that, that were never real to start with. Maybe that's the case. Maybe God's getting it down to where he can start using the church to be what the church is supposed to be. Maybe that's the case. However God wants to do it, I'm in. Five, fifty, five hundred, five thousand, whatever God wants to do, I'm in. So let's keep serving Jesus. Let's keep preaching the word. Let's keep trusting him to do what only he can do. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for the privilege you've given us to preach this gospel. And Lord, thank you for the power 
you provide to do so. Without you, we are nothing. We can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. Lord, I'm praying that this week you open doors for us to speak truth in love that changes hearts and changes lives. Lord, lead, guide, and direct us. Help us to always be a help and never be a hindrance. In Jesus' name, amen.